Welcome to the London Futurist Podcast. As well as being co-host of this podcast, David is a prolific author. His Amazon author page now boasts 10 books, and his latest is The Singularity Principles. It explores a subject that I covered in my own book, Surviving AI, The Technological Singularity, The Arrival of Artificial General Intelligence, AGI, and then Superintelligence. I think David and I are agreed that this event, if and when it happens, will be the most significant development in all of human history to date, so it's well worth an episode of the podcast. And not least because a couple of our recent guests, Simon Thorpe and Ross Norby, have advanced strong arguments that it may be coming sooner than we think. So David, why don't we start with you giving us an overview of what the book is about? In the book, I'm trying to rescue some of the discussion about the rise of artificial general intelligence from various confusions which are in the popular mind, confusions caused by Hollywood, confusions caused by some overexcited discussions of this. It is an important topic. It's a vital topic, but some people have gone into it in a way that's counterproductive. So I'm trying to rescue that discussion. I sometimes say I'm trying to take back control of the singularity. You just went all Brexity on me, David. Brexit succeeded because it had some good slogans. Yeah, that's true. So I want to have some good slogans as well. So I want to take back control of the singularity. And what I mean by that is I want to take back control of the concept of the singularity. I also want to argue that a lot of the things we will need to do to increase the chance of surviving it, and not only surviving it, but thriving in it, are stuff that's happening now. It's not something we should look forward to in the future. Well, one day we're going to need to do this. The technologies that are leading to this future rise of artificial general intelligence are already here in significant measure. and They are already themselves on the point of being out of control beyond our understanding. And I argue in the book that there are ways that we should be doing things to improve the control and understanding of that technology before it also could lead us off some unfortunate precipice. And I think you've got a phrase which is new to me for the overconfident predictions of timescales and outcome. You talk about the singularity shadow. Is that a term that you invented? It is. Many people have said that any movement any philosophy, tends to have a dark shadow around it of people who are somewhat associated with it, but they cause more problems for the philosophy than the help they provide. And I did notice that there were many things around the discussion of the singularity which lead thoughtful people who are not yet convinced to be repulsed by the whole discussion. And so when they hear singularity or when they hear artificial general intelligence, their eyes will roll they will snigger and they will say, oh, not this again, because they have been put off by some careless talk, which they have heard, and they write the whole field off, unfairly, unfortunately. So this includes things like people predicting with almost religious confidence that the singularity will take place in a particular year or within a small timescale. I don't think we can be anything like so certain of that. I think it depends upon a whole lot of software development, a whole lot of social, even political factors, as well as simple extensions of Moore's Law. So I reject the overconfidence, the overdetermination of timescales, and I also reject any inevitability of outcomes. 
many people will say it's bound to be good. And they may give some lip service to some risks and say, well, we'll easily overcome them. And there are other people who say, well, it's bound to be horrible. And I don't think either of these outcomes is in any way set in stone. I remember back in 1999 when I first read Ray Kurzweil, his book, Are We Spiritual Machines? And I thought a lot of what he said was startling and important and interesting. But I was struck by his almost messianic belief that everything would be okay. And I could see a lot of ways in which things could go wrong. So I completely agree with you about that. In fact, the almost religious tenor of some of the talk about it gave rise to the meme of the rapture of the nerds, rapture being an idea in fundamentalist Christianity that Jesus returns and takes all the good souls up to heaven and that some specific things have to happen on earth before that can happen, that a lot of them revolve around Jerusalem. And nerds obviously being highly technical people who may have questionable social skills. So the idea was that the singularity was rapture for the nerds, all the nerds would be taken up to heaven. And that's done the whole field a lot of damage. The core ideas are very sensible and important, but the religious overtones are unhelpful. And it is not a religion. This has got nothing to do with any deity whatsoever. It's all about technology. It's complicated because the machines that we are on the point of creating will have remarkable capabilities. We are on the point of being able to edit life, which formerly was thought of to be the province of deities. We're on the point, perhaps, of solving aging and death, which might lead to not a complete immortality, but something approaching immortality. Again, that was thought to be the province of deities and supernatural beings. So there are religious ideas wrapped up here, but we have to be very cautious about losing track of rationality. So we have to put rationality at the forefront, and we have to bring in multiple perspectives, which is people from different backgrounds who are asking what could go wrong and what could go right. But rather than thinking, well, it's already written down in a tablet of stone, whether it's a particular book by some singularitarian pope, there is no such thing. And this needs a much more serious discussion. And that's what my book is seeking to advance, as was indeed yours, Callum. A lot of the conversation about the singularity when people do take it seriously tends to the dystopian. So let's counteract that a little bit by thinking for a moment about the upsides of HEI and superintelligence. What do you think are the most important potential benefits? We're already seeing AI accelerating drug discovery, accelerating analysis of biology, the predictions of protein folding by DeepMind's AlphaFold can be extended in due course to models not just of amino acids and proteins, but models of all the proteins of a cell interacting. That's going to be a huge model, but with artificial general intelligence, it's possible that we will therefore have complete simulations of cells and indeed of the whole human body, and that will allow a much faster validation of possible medical interventions against various diseases. So I do see the possibility for artificial general intelligence to give us super longevity. I also see the possibility for it to give us a super enlightenment, that we will be approaching the kinds of higher states of consciousness, which occasionally we glimpse, but most of the time we are still far from. It is possible that the technologies can also manage nuclear fusion in a safe way. We are seeing encouraging progress in that. With more capable AI, we could have unlimited, clean, non-radioactive energy on tap. And that would solve 
almost at a stroke, most of the concerns about global warming. I think that's all absolutely right. The underlying point seems to me to be that humanity's superpower, the reason why we are, by a very long way, the most powerful species on the planet, and to be quite honest, the continued life of every other species on the planet depends on us, is because we have this feature known as intelligence. And if we could amplify our intelligence by tens of times, hundreds, thousands, even millions of times, it would give us a great deal more power to improve our lives and the lives of every other species on the planet. It also, of course, gives us the power to damage ourselves and everybody else. Every technology is potentially a double-sided sword. It can be used either intentionally or unintentionally for good or for ill. But there's absolutely not set in stone that we would use it in unfortunate ways. And a world in which wise, super smart humans and machines were running the world could be an absolutely fabulous place. That is my hope. The idea is that the machines will provide much better support for agriculture, much better support for nutrition, all questions of famine, all questions of undernourishment, all questions of poverty, lack of access to resources will be completely solved. And we can then focus on the kinds of things we would love to focus on. Not trying to scrape together a salary for a living, but exploring art, culture, games, mathematics, music, the moons of Jupiter, and all kinds of things we can probably even barely glimpse at. One of the most important questions people will ask is, when do you think all this might happen? Do you have a personal view? You, you said earlier that we shouldn't rigidly stick to a timeline because we simply don't know, but do you have an order of magnitude idea of when you think artificial general intelligence will be with us? I think there is a 50% chance it will be here by the middle of the century. I think there's at least a 10% chance it'll be here by 2030. But it's very much a statistical estimate. It's not firm. It depends on to what extent we humans can focus and tackle issues. It depends upon some unknowns, how research goes, whether a research initiative might come up with remarkable progress or whether it runs into a dead end. We don't sufficiently understand general intelligence, so we can't say for sure. But even if it's going to be longer than that, even if it's not likely to happen until, say, 2070 or 2080, we should still be thinking very hard about this now, because it may take us a long time to set in place the right guide rails, the right development processes that will maximize the chance of this technology being used for true human flourishing, rather than suppressing us or oppressing us in one or other terrible way. I don't know if you saw a new survey of AI researchers done by an organization called AI Impacts. They contacted all the people who've had papers published for one of the biggest AI research conferences called NeurIPS. And I think they had about 780 replies. And they were asking them a series of questions, but one of them was when effectively artificial general intelligence will arrive. And the median view of those people was that the 50% probability was now 2059, which is not very far off. I did come across that report. I even talked about it on Times Radio a few weeks ago. It was more the issue of how many people there expressed worry about the outcome rather than just the time skills. It is significant because these people have written reports, academic papers in the last couple of years. 
and the fact that so many of them are expressing concern, is a reason to take this whole conversation much more seriously. But I don't think we can just leave it to the industry itself to work out its own solutions. They will certainly be part of working out solutions, but the momentum of industry is always more to getting out the next product more quickly rather than ensuring it's completely safe. This is the move fast and break things philosophy, or it's the philosophy of Microsoft, which was version one and version two won't be very good. Possibly version three will be good enough. Well, with some of this technology, if version one or version two is hampered with a terrible bug, there may not be any opportunity to develop a version three. So let's put more pressure. Let's put more support on industry as a whole so that developers are less likely to rush and break things. Yeah, and there's now, I believe, in the low hundreds is the number of people working on AI alignment, AI safety, long-term AI safety issues, as opposed to tens of thousands of people researching the development of advanced AI. So we have a major imbalance between the people who are working to develop the technology and the people who are working to make sure that it is safe. It's improving. It's gone from just around between 10 and 20, two or three years ago, to in the low hundreds now, but it's still not enough people working on the safety aspect. The growth in the overall AI development teams is probably going higher, faster than the growth in the AI safety community. Yeah. So as well as when this might happen, the ways that we can make sure we get positive outcomes rather than negative outcomes is probably the other really important question. It seems to me there are three ways that we can get a positive outcome. One is that it just turns out, either because of the way physics is organized or we get really lucky, that the first superintelligence or superintelligences are very well disposed towards humans and very smart and they figure out how to make our world wonderful. So we just get lucky. The second option is that the people who are working on AI alignment manage to figure out a way to either control a superintelligence or to set it up in such a way that its motivations are always aligned with ours. This strikes me as being a very, very hard problem. How do you control an entity which is many times smarter than you, possibly millions of times smarter than you and continually getting smarter? How do you set it up so that its motivations are helpful to you in such a way that they never change. Those motivations never change. That, again, strikes me as being really hard. There are people who believe they can do it. Best of luck to them. I hope they're successful. The option that seems to me to be the most likely to succeed, and I don't think you agree with me on this, is that we have to merge with these machines. I think even if the machines were terribly benign and terribly wise and made our lives wonderful, I think we'd suffer a sort of catastrophic depression the idea that we were now the second smartest species on the planet by a very, very long way, and that our future was no longer in our hands, we had no say in it. I think that'd be a debilitating thing for humanity. And there's always the possibility that we wouldn't get the benign version. So it seems to me that our safest option is to become the entity, which is now the most powerful entity on the planet and possibly even in the universe, merging with it, which of course involves uploading our minds into machines, which is a phenomenally difficult engineering task. But in principle, may well be achievable. There's then all sorts of philosophical questions about whether if you upload, you retain yourself. Is there such a thing as a self to retain? There's a lot of interesting philosophical discussions around that. 
But it does strike me that that third option of merging with the machines is our most likely route to a beneficial outcome. Do you agree with that in principle, or are you more hopeful about Miri and others? Well, I'm not especially hopeful about Miri and others, for reasons I'll come to in a minute. I'm not especially hopeful about just saying we'll merge with machines and that will work out fine. I think we need to do more than both of these, and that makes it more complicated. One of my arguments is that most of the simple ideas that people have got, which often they get excited about, and often they say this is the method that's going to solve things, won't work. The technology is so rich and varied, you might manage possibly to come up with a very clever scheme why AI will, if you design it in a certain way, always be aligned with human flourishing. But what about all the other people who are developing AI in different ways and they haven't bought into your solution or they disagree with your solution? They want their AI to go even faster than yours and they think that you are being unnecessarily conservative and foolish and socialist or progressive or some other kind of slur that they have in mind and they take out your health and safety measures and oops, it's gone wrong. So I don't think it's just a matter of let's hope we're going to get the very best AI because there are many people working on AIs without these safety guide rules, and some of them may stumble on a much more powerful AI without really intending it. After all, as an analogy, the first time a hydrogen bomb was exploded by some very clever people indeed, Edward Teller and many others, they'd use the best computers of the time, the early mainframes, to model what would happen. They all got it wrong. The bomb that exploded in, I think, 1954 at Bikini Atoll was two and a half times as powerful as any of them had expected. They had not anticipated all the outcomes. There was some element involved there, an isotope of lithium, that they had thought would be inert. But when it was sufficiently heated up, it started involvement in the fusion reaction too. So there's all kinds of ways this could go wrong. And we need to, therefore, come up with a whole spectrum of solutions and apply them across the board. As for the idea of have individual humans be augmented and elevated by merging with the AI, I think that's going to happen to an extent anyway. We are merged with AI even now as we are speaking. Software is helping to improve the quality of what gets recorded because it's missing out some of the background noise. It's cleverly figuring out, in some cases at least, that some of the noise outside is from a, a more doing its things and occasionally that will be removed. So we are all the time emerging to an extent with AI. But if we just make a human more powerful, it doesn't guarantee that that human's going to do benign beneficial things. After all, there are some very clever humans in the world today, extraordinarily smart, who do terrible things because I would say, you would say, their ethical alignment isn't very good. They have different objectives, whether it's politicians or the leaders of large mafia gangs, some corporate leaders, some press barons, making them more intelligent probably wouldn't result in the world being a better place. The phrase is, Power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we have to solve the problem of beneficence independently of just AI. We have to figure out what is actually the right set of actions, the right set of principles we need people and machines to follow rather than just saying, well, humans already know the answers. We humans don't know the answers and some of the principles we think are good when you expand them, turn out to have horrible consequences.
That, David, sounds to me a council of despair. We've been debating the right thing to do, the morally right thing to do since the ancient Greeks, and we are nowhere nearer to an agreement. And if we've got until 2059, or maybe the end of the century, to resolve all these moral issues, you know, what is a good life and how do we get there? I just don't see how that's doable. It doesn't sound like you hold out very much hope. It sounds like you're relying pretty heavily on the first option, which is that we get lucky. And it turns out that superintelligence is benign and wise. I think we can make progress in philosophy. I think we have made some advances since Aristotle and Plato. Some of the insights of Kant, Rawls, more modern philosophers do help. And I think we've got to accelerate this. It shouldn't just be an abstract, occasional armchair discussion. We need to be very serious. In fact, we already have to solve these problems with some of the self-driving cars that we are creating. There will be moral decisions made sometimes as to what to do in an out-of-control situation. We need to accelerate these discussions. I'm not claiming we will have a single, all-complete view, but we can go somewhere in between. So it won't be Asimov's three laws of robotics because they are self-contradictory. They don't explain what harm is and they don't explain what to do when there are two different humans who want the machine to behave differently and so on. So it won't be as simple as that, but nor will it be a completely worked out theory of how to behave in every way. It will be generalized principles. And we have made some progress on that. I point to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights agreed by not every country in the world, but by many countries in the world after the Second World War in a team from people from many ethnic backgrounds, Eleanor Roosevelt, people from the Hindu background, people from a Muslim background, people from secular backgrounds. They had some agreement, and it is my conviction we need to revisit that agreement. We need to discuss how it should change in the light of, first of all, the new possibilities that technology puts in our grasp, And also we need to take account of the objections that have been raised against it over the years from a variety of philosophers. That should be one of the great projects of our time. So instead of us all focusing on some relatively less important thing, there should be many more people saying, right, let's get stuck in. How could we incrementally improve this Universal Declaration of Human Rights? How should we incrementally improve the GDP measurement? That's taken a long time as well, but we need to do that. And if we work enough on that, we will clarify more what are the freedoms that we most of all support and what are the constraints that are necessary for our overall well-being. I'm surprised. That strikes me as being a next to impossible task. The Declaration of Human Rights is very broad and you get people with all sorts of political and moral ideas signing up to it. It can be interpreted in all sorts of different ways and lots of people don't abide by it. If between now and 2059, we've got to come up with a much more specific, much more thoroughgoing set of instructions as to how rulers should behave and how the rules should behave, and a set of instructions that everybody will abide by, that strikes me as being even harder than what Miri and people like Miri are trying to do, the people who are working on AI alignment using more mathematical and computational techniques. That actually just reinforces my view that we really are going to have to become the machines in order to make sure we get the positive outcome. And it isn't just a case of augmenting the intelligence of leaders or certainly lots of of press barons and people running corporations. It's a case of augmenting everybody who wants to be augmented, uploading and merging with machines, everybody who wants to be, which won't be everybody. A lot of people will think that's a horrific idea and will want to remain human. But those who would like to merge, which I think actually after a short period of time would be most people, 
you'd go from a position where we all disagree with each other and we are current normal intelligence to a position where we all disagree with each other but we're super intelligent and hopefully that actually would enable us to become more moral and more wise it's not unreasonable to hope that there's a correlation between wisdom and intelligence what you're saying reinforces my view that that is probably the way forward we should proceed step by step I hope I haven't given the impression that we need to get a complete solution to all the problems of moral philosophy before we can make progress. We should instead start here and now with the real existing issues like when should facial recognition be used in software systems? When should autonomous weapons be incorporated into military units? There are technical questions, but there are broader issues of what would be right, what would be good. We can tackle them first. And we won't get agreement overnight, but we will build up a gradually increasing consensus that facial recognition is good in these circumstances, but only if certain infrastructure is put in place. And likewise, the possibilities for occasional use of autonomous weapons, perhaps. And so it is with the research into biochemical engineering with the pathogens that might have extra features. These are topics we have to discuss here and now, and we should get individual solutions and then see how we can expand these into a broader framework. But we're in a world now where, just to take one example, in America, people can't agree whether it was a bad thing for an ex-president to launch a coup against his own democracy. That's controversial. In that world... We have so far to go. It's not a question of solving all moral philosophy, although that is, I think, what you have to do. It's a question of even getting to base starting point. I just don't see that's remotely possible between now and, say, the end of the century. Well, I think it needs to happen sooner than that, because I think there is a possibility we will have extremely dangerously capable AI by 2030. So I, I want to go much faster than the end of the century. I do agree with you there is scope for AI making these humans who sometimes act in very deplorable ways, not just in America. In many other countries, there are people who occasionally have very strange views. I do believe there is the possibility for AI and other technologies to help us not go off the rails so much. So instead of social media and press that encourages tribalism, there can be enhancements to our social media and indeed some press, which helps us to be civil to each other. And that needs to accelerate because many of the people who behave sometimes deplorably can in other occasions behave angelically and wonderfully. So we do need to alter the conditions, the environment and help people, all of us to be the better angels that are within us rather than the worst devils that lurk behind the surface. So this is transhumanism, if you like. This is saying the solution to how we're going to cope with radically powerful technology is to use technology to enhance ourselves. But it's got to be done across the board. And if we miss bits out, then uh, we might have a small enclave in which we think, hey, we are doing the right thing, but some other country or some other group over there gets access to the technology and does terrible things to it. So we start somewhere. We should have good examples somewhere. And others should say, Hmm, what they're doing in this country over here, what they're doing in the state over here is at least to an extent worth copying elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. If you had a magic wand and you could wave it and do one magical thing, it would probably the best thing to do would be to change everybody's mind so that we all see, all of us, 
as members of the same tribe because an awful lot of our current problems is that we see each other as members of rival tribes and rivalry between tribes can become quite vicious. And in fact, that takes me on to a subject where I think we do agree. And I think we're probably in a minority, which is the idea that AI ethics is a good phrase for the study of how to make AI safe. It's a growing profession, it turns out, to be an AI ethicist. And I've long thought it's a bad name because if you believe that you are developing a set of ethics and that is how we'll make AI safe, then you believe that people who have a different view to you are not just making a mistake, not just making a factual empirical mistake, they're making a moral mistake. And that makes them a bad person. And that leads to much more angry conversations and much more angry thoughts than is helpful. And the other thing about it is that, as I've said, we're a very, very long way from solving the questions of moral philosophy. And you cannot get agreement among any sizable number of humans about what's the morally right thing to do, because people start from different premises and make different assumptions and different judgments along the way. And so if you have a field called AI ethics, it's not only going to be more angry, the discussions, but it's much harder to resolve differences. Whereas if you just talk about safety a much calmer debate becomes possible. I'm with you on that. There are many people who think they're developing good technology and they hate it when self-proclaimed AI ethicists are perceived to be wagging their fingers at them and saying, you're not thinking enough about fairness. You're not thinking enough about equality of opportunity. You're not thinking enough about broader issues of flourishing apart from just economic benefit. And they often want to fight back and say, yes, I am. I am thinking of these broader issues and I've just got different conceptions from you. So I agree with you. We must ground this discussion in simpler questions, which is how do we avoid cataclysmic harm and how do we take advantage of the profound opportunities that we discussed earlier on? That's where I want to start this discussion. It's certainly an extremely important discussion and you've been thinking longer and harder about these issues than most. So I certainly recommend your book to anybody who's interested and frankly, we should all be interested. And we should have this discussion because I'm quite sure I don't have all the answers, but I'm quite sure also that some of the ideas in my book will help the overall debate along. And that is one of the main reasons for having this series of podcasts in the first place. So with that, on to the next one. Thanks, Callum. Thanks, David.